Welcome to the European Journal of Plastic Surgery Journal Club. Together with Plaster and Icoplast, we bring you the latest open access articles with unique insights from the authors and discussion with plastic surgery experts around the world. Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy this month's episode. Hello everyone and thank you for joining us for this month's episode of the European Journal of Plastic Surgery Journal Club. I'm your host Demetrius Rhesus and I'm a plastic surgery registrar in London, UK and head of operations for our trainees association called Plaster. Today we'll be discussing and appraising a new open access article originally published in EJPS in April 2020 entitled Delayed Two-Stage Autologous Breast Reconstruction, an Approach to Improving Delayed Reconstructive Outcomes. It is written by first author Ashraf Patel and senior authors Dr. Gordon Lee and Dr. Rahim Nazarali. And we're honored to be joined by um, Dr. Patel and Dr. Nazarali today. They work together in the Division of Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery in Stanford University Medical Center in Palo Alto, California, USA. Ashraf Patel is an MD candidate at State University of New York Upstate Medical University, currently working as a clinical researcher in Stanford. He's already published multiple articles on a range of plastic surgery topics and appears to have a bright future in plastic surgery. Thank you for joining us, Ashraf. Thank you. Thank you for having us. And we're also joined by Dr. Rahim Nazarali. He's a clinical assistant professor of surgery in the Division of Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery at Stanford Healthcare. He specializes in both reconstructive and aesthetic surgery with a clinical focus on breast reconstruction, including um, patient safety and patient-centered care. He has published many articles on surgical outcomes, including improving efficiency in the operating room using new technologies and techniques. And we're honored to be joined by you today, Dr. Nazarali. Thanks so much for having us, appreciate it. And we're also extremely honored to be joined by Professor Andres Rodriguez Lorenzo. He is a clinical chief and associate professor in the Department of Plastic and Maxillofacial Surgery in Uppsala University Hospital in Sweden. He has also been the program director of the International Fellowship in Microsurgery and is a world expert in all areas of microsurgical reconstruction and training, in which he has published and taught extensively. We're very much looking forward to hearing his comments tonight. Thank you, Prof. Thank you. And as always, we're joined by um, the editor-in-chief of VJPS, Dr. Horatio Mayer. He is a plastic and reconstructive surgeon and deputy head of the plastic surgery surface at University Hospital Italiano de Buenos Aires in Argentina. He's also the chairman of the education committee of Icoplast and he's the driving force that makes this journal club possible. Thank you as always, Horatio. And also from Icoplast, we're joined by Dr. Hine Rakost. He is a founding board member of Icoplast and Icobra and a specialist plastic and reconstructive microsurgeon working in the Medish Spectrum Hospital in Twente in the Netherlands. He's also an expert in breast reconstruction and will be quizzing our authors later on in the Journal Club. Looking forward. Thanks again for organizing. And last but not least, we're joined by Mr. Oscar Fernandez. He's the Breast Reconstructive Microsurgery Fellow at St. Andrew's Centre for Plastic Surgery in Chelmsford in the UK, having completed his residency training in his home country of Mexico. He's also completed an MSc in Reconstructive Microsurgery. We'll be presenting the article for us today. So without further ado, I'll hand over to Oscar to kick off. Thank you very much, Oscar. Thank you very much, Timmy, for the introduction. It is my honor to summarize this paper by the Plastic Surgery Division at the Stanford University Medical Center. The pathway for breast reconstruction following mastectomy can be multi-stage due to the complexity of breast cancer management being either an immediate or delayed reconstruction. In 2004, Kronowitz introduced the concept of the two-stage delayed immediate reconstruction to preserve the breast skin envelope by first performing a mastectomy and immediately placing as a pectoral tissue expander, followed by serial expansion. 
After completing oncological therapy, a second stage procedure was performed to either place a permanent implant or autologous tissue transfer. The ideal candidates for this type of procedure are those patients desiring to begin with the reconstruction immediately and those who are suitable for this alternatively. Nevertheless, some patients may have had a mastectomy and did not have a tissue expander for a particular reason and may subsequently seek autologous breast reconstruction. Even though delayed reconstruction offers the advantage of creating a natural breast, drawbacks to this choice are significant scarring, skin stretch marks, and hair-bearing tissue from the suprapubic area. For this reason, the authors propose a novel technique, the delayed two-stage two -stage technique with autologous reconstruction for patients who did not have a tissue expander after the mastectomy and desired reconstruction by placing a shaped prepectoral tissue expander. This would enable a delayed reconstruction after serial expansion to create an adequately large skin envelope to contain a deepitalized autologous flap in the second stage of the reconstruction. The outcome is both a natural shaped breast with a lower pole ptosis and no abdominal skin. The aim of the study was to assess the post-surgical outcomes of this delayed two-stage technique. For this reason, a retrospective study over a 12-year period was carried out under institutional approval, demographic data, surgical information, and post-operative outcomes were collected and analyzed. The results showed after an initial cohort of 124 cases that were identified, only five cases met the criteria for a total of eight breasts who were reconstructed, two unilateral and six bilateral. The mean age of the patients was 50 years and the mean BMI was 24.7. Four patients had radiation therapy and three had chemotherapy before tissue expander placement. The average tissue expander field volume was 137.5 milliliters and the average time between tissue expander placement and autologous reconstruction was 162 days. Complications after surgery following the placement of tissue expander were 12.5% with one seroma. And in the second stage, two complications were observed in one breast that was complicated with both wound adhesions and partial fat necrosis. Only one patient had breast scar revision, surgery, and no flat failures were recorded. As part of the discussion, the delayed breast reconstruction can face several difficulties. In particular, the lack of breast skin envelope and the recreation of breast anatomical landmarks, such as the inframammary fold, lateral fold, and the breast pocket. Also in this study, almost half of the patients received radiotherapy, which caused further deleterious effects like breast tissue hardening, higher incidence of capsulotomies, and reduction in patient satisfaction. Because of these problems, options such as the immediate or delayed immediate have become more frequent. Nevertheless, these alternatives are not suitable to all patients. An interesting concept that is exposed in this paper is the need to understand the breast anatomical subunits described by Spears and Davison, similar to those of different regions of the face, 
emphasizing the need to maintain certain contours and boundaries of the breast. The most significant advantage of this technique is the improvement of the aesthetic outcome by avoiding an evident abdominal skin paddle. The surgical protocol offers the best of both worlds by offering the autologous natural texture of the abdomen and the native breast skin through expansion. Furthermore, the expanders used for this protocol were shaped to enhance the lower pole skin envelope. In comparison to other studies with delayed reconstruction and radiation therapy, the present study had similar complication rates. Also, when comparing the outcome of patients who had implant-based reconstruction, in this subset of patients, there were no tissue expander failures. Even though this procedure is a good alternative for reconstruction, it is important to point out that extra time should be considered. However, the authors believe the aesthetic benefits guarantee the additional effort for a complete reconstruction. The limitations for this study were that it was a relatively small case series and only a subset of patients are suitable for this option. In conclusion, the delayed two-stage breast reconstruction is safe, has a low complication and revision surgery rate, and offers satisfactory aesthetic outcomes. Thank you very much, Oscar. That was a great summary. Um, and I'll now hand over to Hine, who will run through a, a critical appraisal of the paper in the format of the CASP guidelines, just to guide our appraisal slightly. Um, so I'll hand over to Hine. Yeah, thank you, uh, Demi. So the first question, Oscar, is um, did the study address a clearly focused issue? It is clear that the authors addressed the, the issue of improving the aesthetic outcomes especially for a subset of patients who had delayed reconstruction. Was the follow-up of the subjects complete enough to your mind to answer those questions? I would say that uh, the immediate follow-up of the patient was uh, recorded in the study. However, uh, a long-term follow-up was not addressed in this paper. However, it would be interesting to have uh, more information about this in a uh, upcoming paper, if possible. Having answered that, so what do you think are exactly the results of the study for the audience and for the reader to, to take home message? Well, I would say that um, this technique can be employed in, as the authors uh, wrote, in a subset of patients who did not have uh, an expander, who are delayed reconstructions, and um, would like to have an autologous breast reconstruction and who could benefit of the expansion by creating a skin envelope and having, as I've said, the best of both worlds, a natural or native breast skin paddle and a skin envelope. And what do you think are the, are the results described in a precise fashion? Yes, they are described in a precise fashion. Uh, all the data, demographic data and surgical uh, outcome data was recorded very precise and uh, we, it, it was clear and had no, um, there were no other problems with, with that. And then uh, I think uh, an important question always to ask is, do you believe the results? Having said, seen, you know, it's, it's a small series, but is it something that you would incorporate? Yeah, I do believe the results um, 
The article contains pictures of the outcomes. They have done a very nice job by comparing a delayed reconstruction with a abdominal skin paddle compared to a delayed uh, two-stage uh, reconstruction uh, by the technique of the authors. And it clearly uh, is evident that the aesthetic outcome is satisfactory. Do the, do the results fit with other papers that you've read? Yes. When the authors make the comparison to other papers who had uh, delayed reconstruction, especially who had radiotherapy, and also uh, that were uh, implant-based reconstructions, the uh, complications uh, were very similar to other papers. So, basic, uh, so I would say that essentially uh, this technique is comparable to other techniques. It's safe and it's a good alternative for delayed breast reconstruction. My final question, Oscar. We all know that Ash and, uh, and Rahim are super productive and really hardcore scientists and combining practical issues from the clinic to research and, and science. As for this, this kind of subject, what would be your advice to for a follow-up study? What, what are the questions that arise from this paper that you would like to have seen answered? Well, um, it's a great paper uh, because it addresses many issues, especially nowadays that patients are more uh, concerned about the aesthetic outcomes. Um, probably what I would address in a further paper would be uh, a breast cue questionnaire to the patients and also uh, an aesthetic evaluation of the patients. Um, there are uh, several papers that address uh, the aesthetic outcomes and it could be a good um, follow-up to address those issues, especially uh, what's the satisfaction of the patients in terms of um, uh, breast cue and also in terms of aesthetic outcomes. Andres, do you have anything to add to that in terms of uh, follow-up questions? Yes, I think uh, I think it's a it's a good paper, and I think what I feel the the novelty of the paper is really to do a delay uh, two-step reconstruction and the prepectoral plane. So you would put the DA but autologous reconstruction in a prepectoral fashion. So this paper to me is more like a proof of concept that you can do it and it's safe. But then the hypothesis of the authors are that you provide better aesthetic outcomes. And, and this really the results are measured by the complications and surgical technique, but not really uh, the comparison, the aesthetic outcomes uh, or patient satisfaction in related to other techniques. So I think this paper is, is uh, really good in terms of a proof of concept that actually that doesn't add uh, morbidity or is as good or even better than other techniques in patient complications, but we need to know about the, the aesthetic outcomes maybe in, in further research, I suppose. So Demi, um, we'll go back to you then. Lovely. Thank you very much, Hine. That was a great analysis. And thank you, Oscar. Um, and thank you, Prof, for your comments. I think that's really important. And it leads on nicely to introduce Horatio, 
and to ask a few questions both to our authors and to Professor Rodriguez Lorenzo as well. Uh, thank you, Dimi. First of all, I would like to congratulate the author and I would like to thank them for choosing our journal as an outlet of their work. I think as uh, Andres said before, this is a proof of concept article. So from that point of view, actually you don't need uh, too many patients. As Oscar said very well, this, is, this technique is just for a subset of patients. And so it's, it's precisely indicated in just in certain patients. Patients who do, who do not undergo um, immediate reconstruction and who are candidates to an autologous reconstruction. I would like to, to ask the authors about, um, do you have any kind of study regarding cost analysis about adding an extra stage to an astologous uh, reconstruction in terms of operating room fees, in terms of uh, cost expander and have you carried out any kind of cost analysis or are you planning to carry out one? Yeah, th thank you so much for that question. Um, of course, adding another surgical procedure uh, does add cost um, to the overall reconstruction. And in this particular case, uh, the surgical procedure ends up being about one hour in length and is performed as an outpatient operation. Uh, typically for the delayed reconstructions, there is no need for a drain. Um, and of course, the costs of uh, clinic visits for the tissue expansion itself, right? Uh, uh, here we have a 90-day global period where costs are covered in one lump sum um, diagnosis-related group or a DRG uh, within the U.S. that is a lump sum payment by the insurance company. Uh, but uh, that definitely does add cost and time for the patient. So no question this is uh, going to increase that. Uh, however, I think, you know, if you look at the overall outcomes, um, at least uh, from, from a provider standpoint, right, the, the, we... Um, it's very well taken that we have not included patient satisfaction and breast Q scores, which I think are, are definitely the next step and very critical. But from a provider viewpoint and looking at um, patient mm -hmm. outcomes, um, the outcomes are, are much more satisfactory to what I would want uh, for, for a loved one. Thank you, Rahim. Uh, another question. Uh, how, um, I, didn't, I didn't find in your article any mention about how about uh, flap monitoring? Did you leave any skin paddle to, to, to monitor the flap? Yeah, uh, good question. A lot of these uh, patients who undergo immediate reconstruction with uh, total skin envelope preservation, uh, patients that are undergoing nipple sparing mastectomies, or patients who are undergoing uh, delayed immediate reconstruction, uh, we typically end up burying the entire flap. And what we do is on the uh, mastectomy skin that's left over, we evaluate the mastectomy skin first for a Doppler signal. And then what we do is we um, check the Doppler signal of the flap through the skin to ensure that it's there. So we'll go ahead and get the flap inset. We'll listen to the Doppler signal. Um, and then we'll place uh, a malleable or replace the back of a, of a pickup in between the mastectomy skin and the flap to ensure that what we're listening to is truly the flap. And we'll try to ensure that we have uh, arterial as well as a venous signal. In some situations, there may be issues with monitoring patients, and with those particular patients, we'll use an implantable Doppler. 
for the most part, a simple uh, proline suture at the location of a, of a Doppler signal is sufficient for monitoring these flaps. And my last question, actually more than a question, it's just it's a comment. We always say that the Diplarola complex is the cherry on the cake. So I was surprised to see that no one of your patients actually wanted to have the Niplarola complex reconstructed. So what is that? Um, you don't encourage them, patient does, really doesn't care. In my, let me tell you that in my personal experience, ladies come back for a Niplarola reconstruction when they are getting divorced. But let me know what, 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 what happens in California. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a, it's a very good question. I have found that more and more patients are opting not to undergo nipple areola reconstruction. Um, we have excellent 3D tattoo artists that end up doing some 3D reconstructions. And a lot of our patients uh, want to actually go wearing a t-shirt or wearing shirts without a bra. And so, um, you know, we offer options for what we call 2D reconstruction, which is just tattooing of, a, of an areolar complex, 3D reconstruction, which is, um, you know, a shaded coloring, uh, or a 4D reconstruction, which involves the actual creation of a, of a, a nipple areolar complex with a, a skin and soft tissue in the area, as well as um, with tattooing around it. And so we, we uh, do offer those options. Uh, some patients choose to undergo that. Some patients choose not to, and um, it's completely their decision. We do have a previous paper uh, that we have published uh, that the nipple areolar complex, actually the creation of it, does help uh, distract from the scars that are on the breast. So when using um, eye tracking technology, uh, there's a company called Toby that we used uh, their eye tracking technology to look at where patients and where providers look on a patient's chest with and without a nipple areolar complex, uh, the nipple areolar complex construct does distract from the scars on the breast and actually increases the impression of symmetry on the breast. Yeah. And so I always encourage patients to take a look at that and then come back to us if that's what they want to have happen. Wonderful. That were all my questions and thanks again for choosing our journal uh, and we're looking forward to receive the next one. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much Horatio. Um, just before I take a few questions from the audience um, that we've had sent in, um, I'll hand over to Hine um, and ask him what were your thoughts in terms of influencing your clinical practice um, from this paper? Is this a technique that you would look to pick up for your, for your delayed reconstruction patients? Actually, in the Netherlands, um, and might be the same in uh, other countries as well, we, we have a quality indicator that uh, between the pathology report and the mastectomy, there's a maximum of six weeks. Um, and, and so, oh no, it's actually less, four weeks. So everybody's in a rush and patients have to decide on a lot of things. So we actually uh, explain to patients that they don't have to choose for implants or autologous um, now because their head's usually pretty full of decisions. And we tell them, you know, you could go for a tissue expander. And at a later stage, you know what your adjuvant therapy is and everything. And your mind has come to, you know, all the dust has come down. Come back and you can choose for silicone or whatever or autologous. 
And a lot of these women really seem to be uh, come to rest in the stressful time. So it gives them back control about their own story. Uh, in the Netherlands, there's a huge amount of women that's really uh, afraid of silicone because of all the media attention. So it does give them back uh, the power to decide. And so we do quite a few of these and we're really, really satisfied with them. And the only thing we don't, we haven't dared yet, although we do have a, a good uh, flap loss rate, is to bury the, the flap ball in itself. We usually you do a small skin island and we take it out under local anesthetics just because of the venous uh, if we have problems, it's typically venous, and and those are the, the most severe cases. So we, we do like to see some skin of the abdomen in the in the in the breast. But we really in our in our group practice, we really like the delayed immediate approach for for also reasons such as this. So yeah, I'm I'm really thrilled with uh, with uh, Ash and uh, Raheem's paper because it, it's sort of a it needs still uh, more attention, I think, because it's a, it's a great way. And also in, in your practice, it takes out, the, um, you know, you get more steering in, in theater planning and so on, which is also important for some uh, units. And in the Netherlands, that is important as well. Uh, although I do uh, think the immediate deep flap is, of course, uh, yeah, that's that's great. But a lot of people consider it a major operation still. So it gives them think, time to cool off and think about it. Thank you, Hine. And I just wanted to ask Prof Rodriguez Lorenzo as well. Um, in your experience, um, what's your view on, on perhaps bearing the flaps as well? Um, and um, also you commented earlier on the pre-pectoral placement of the tissue. And is this a technique you use as well and any experience with that? Yeah, thank you. I, I think... Um, when we do immediate reconstruction, we usually, as Hine mentioned, we leave a small skin island that we remove for monitoring, uh, just for monitoring, remove later on. Uh, well, I really like the concept of the paper, mostly because the uh, adds two things that I think interesting. Number one, to aim to preserve as much uh, breast skin as possible, which always uh, we all know that adds uh, is a positive effect in the in the breast. And number two, to avoid uh, the subpectoral pocket, which is mostly, mostly when you, you want to protect your implant, right? Here you want to leave the, the, the pec major intact and everything will be over it. Uh, so I think we actually, I see benefits even in this COVID situation we live in and we have, for example, because of lack of resources in the, in the spring, we have uh, patients that were some candidates to bilateral DFs actually we did uh, implant base uh, in terms of waiting for for a DF later on that we did actually now in the autumn, and with a similar concept in a way to try to uh, you know do a mastectomy, preserve the skin and the nipples, and and but it will be aimed for a, a autologous reconstruction. So I think this kind of prepectoral delay reconstruction has I see uh, that really has a lot of room in a number of indications. Uh, when you have logistics, when you cannot offer a DF right away and maybe you have to wait, uh, but at the same time you will preserve, you will not leave the pec major. So I think uh, definitely I see a lot of pros of the technique. You know, a, a, an, an extra um, benefit of leaving a tiny skin island to monitor in the flap is that 
uh, if you leave that uh, at the level of the mastectomy incision, uh, you can place in that way that later you can use that skin to create the nipple. So you have the perfect excuse to have the patient back, coming back to create the nipple, you know? So you are going to have a, a safer monitoring of your flap and you have the perfect excuse to, remo to remove the skin or to use that skin to create the nipple. And once the patient has the nipple, getting a tattoo is easier. I often uh, do it all in one stage, the, the nipple as well from the skin island. And, yeah. and I think more and more the debate, and I'm interested to hear what, what the other people were thinking of this, is that if one in eight or nine women get breast cancer, more and more people go for reconstruction. We need to, to my mind, move away from staged reconstruction, doing one breast and waiting and do a reduction on the other side to doing it all at once because of the fact that only that alone that women are taken out of their lives every stage that we're looking at and how is your practice dealing with this issue and that goes for all the panelists what are you pushing are you also pushing the limits or pushing the envelope or, or aiming for less operations during a women's a woman's life well i think in my view is i think you're completely right i mean the aim is to offer you you talk about autologous to most people possible but at the same time i think it's like more long lasting procedures right it's, this is like an investment you will do like maybe one surgery and maybe one correction or you will do four or five steps uh, that will take resources both ways but i think i think this approach uh, staging uh, makes also better to plan so you plan the bigger surgery accordingly but the patient gets part of the treatment uh, in in another day so i think both ways are consuming the resources but i think this way maybe you can plan better i think raheem uh, how about your practice yeah i i offer um contralateral symmetry procedures uh occasionally at the same time um most of our patients who come in are immediate reconstructions so most of them are having a mastectomy and their reconstruction immediately. Um, I often use imaging modalities intraoperatively to help me assess the mastectomy skin flaps to see if they're a candidate for a direct to implant or a candidate for immediate autologous reconstruction. If there's ever a concern about the mastectomy skin flap, I always will err on the side of being more cautious in using a tissue expander as a temporary spacer um, to allow the mastectomy skin to recover. You know, there's lots of things I think as plastic surgeons we can fix. Mastectomy skin necrosis is a problem that is extremely difficult to fix aesthetically. And so that is something that uh, ultimately takes priority for me and, and my patients in ensuring that they have the best aesthetic outcome. Um, so if it, if it means that they may require another operation in the future, um, I, I'll go ahead and select that as a, as a tissue expander uh, intermediate option for them in the operating room and I'll, and I'll explain that to them and that whole process to them as well. Um, and so, you know, it, it really depends on the surgeons that I'm working with, the skin envelope that's left behind. What I do like about using the tissue expander is the creation of that capsule. Uh, I found that the breast envelope looks just so much better when I can take the autologous tissue and place it just as I would an implant into that pocket that is already created. There's very little um, 
you know, uh, shaping of the abdominal tissue that I need to do at the time of uh, delayed immediate reconstruction. And that actually ultimately results, I think, in a better lateral mammary fold, a better inframammary fold, uh, a better superior pole of the breast. Um, I think that those patients end up with the best outcomes in my hands. Rahim, another question. Uh, do you do any treatment of the capsule? I mean, capsulotomies, partial capsulectomies, total capsulectomy, you, because some cases are actually irradiated. So perhaps during the expander, you could have, have some kind of uh, capsular contracture. So do you treat the capsule in these cases? Yeah, no, that's an excellent question. I think uh, it depends on how the capsule looks at the time of uh, the second stage. So when converting them to autologous, I often will do a superior and medial capsulotomy. That allows me enough space and room uh, to work the medial capsulotomy I do right at the border of the costochondral junction uh, where I'm uh, going to be resecting my ribs. So that's actually a nice location to actually combine those two specific um, procedures intraoperatively. And then um, when it comes to uh, the capsule itself, I typically don't do a capsulectomy. A lot of my colleagues actually here will do a complete capsulectomy. And that's because of a concern for increased seroma postoperatively. Uh, I end up doing um, carpet bovying or um, like uh, popcorn capsulorophies throughout the entire capsule, maintain the capsule to help me with a breast shape, and then um, place the tissue into the pocket. There obviously is an increased risk of seroma if you do leave the capsule behind, but it's, uh, I, th I think it's important for the shape, so I'll maintain it and just cause an inflammatory response uh, around the capsule so that it scars down to the autologous tissue. Yes, thank you. Uh, we always say uh, in terms of symmetry, uh, some of the cases are unilateral, some of them are bilateral. My question is uh, always uh, it's a challenge to have symmetry in terms of the scars when you have unilateral reconstruction. So will, what are your approach in when you have unilaterals? So you want to preserve as much breast skin envelope, uh, and, but then when you have bilaterals, you try to match the scar placement in both sides. Uh, what would be your approach? Unilaterals versus bilateral reconstructions. Uh, is that specifically in the, in the delayed setting? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so in the delayed setting, most patients of ours in the delayed setting end up having uh, a transverse incision uh, across where uh, the nipple areolar complex used to be present. Uh, there are some patients that have that scar a little bit lower where maybe they had a more totic breast and the scar was, uh, was able to be a little bit lower on the chest, but most of those patients have a scar directly across uh, the central chest uh, because there was no intention for a reconstruction in those situations. Um, in situations where there was an intention for reconstruction, uh, that scar may be in another location. Obviously, the most aesthetic scars are in the inframammary fold. Right. Those end up being the, the best aesthetics, in, in my opinion, because the scar is hidden. It's not in the central portion of the chest. And the concept of uh, aesthetic breast subunits, which were which was brought up previously, I think is very relevant. You know, you, you cut across a lot of breast subunits when you place the scar in another location. When you place it along the lower pole of the breast, uh, the, the scars end up being a lot more, um, uh, a lot more uh, concealable. Mm -hmm. All right. Lovely. Thank you very much. 
Um, unless there's any other comments with regards to the specific technique, I think we all agree it's a great technique for these select patients and um, something that we can all look to bring into our practice. Um, how have you found um, combining the research with clinical work? Um, and what uh, advice perhaps would you have for other uh, medical students? Um, I think from my experiences so far, what I've really found is important is having good mentors. Um, and that's definitely very important to having successful research experiences. I'm fortunate enough to have Dr. Nazarali and Dr. Lee as my mentors. Um, I'm currently at an institution that doesn't have a plastic surgery division where um, autologous breast reconstruction is actually quite rare. Um, but I was able to find Dr. Nazarali just from emailing out. So I think, um, you know, really trying to find those experiences being proactive is definitely important, especially at the stage of being a medical student um, and having limited opportunities. Dr. Nazarali and I have um, continued to work on several different papers and projects remotely throughout the years, even though we're in completely different parts of the country. Um, and taking what I've learned from my experiences um, at Stanford with Dr. Lee and Dr. Nazarali, I've actually been able to create even more research experiences at my home institution that weren't here previously. Um, so I think some of the really important things are being dedicated, being persistent, um, taking self-initiative um, and being driven to learn more. Thank you very much. That's great. Um, and Dr. Nazarali, um, from your experience of mentoring students like Ashraf and other trainees and residents, um, what advice would you have for our trainees listening who want to get involved in research and are trying to um, work work out how to combine research with their clinical career, perhaps? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, we all started off as medical students at some point, and I think it's important uh, for us as mentors to continue fostering uh, that interest uh, in our specialty, because that our specialty is going to rely on bright young minds like Ashraf uh, to really take it to the next level in the future. Many of the ideas and concepts um, actually that come about, come about from conversations with medical students who are observing, uh, medical students who are in the operating room, uh, asking questions about why we do this way uh, versus another way. And uh, many of those questions ultimately end up with uh, very strong, uh, you know, uh, clinical research behind them eventually um, if they are pursued. So continue to be inquisitive, continue to be persistent as a, uh, uh, Ashraf said, continue to um, engage and feel free to uh, step out of your bubble. You know, uh, Ashraf, as he indicated, is in uh, the New York area, you know, over here, California, three year, three hours behind. Um, you know, he, he reached out uh, as a cold email to me. And uh, through that, we've had a very uh, fruitful, not only relationship as a, a mentor and mentee, but I've seen Ashraf grow which has been very um, rewarding for me as, 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 as I progress in my career. And uh, Ashraf has come with many questions that have been very helpful, I think, not only for um, us within our institution, but as well, hopefully, for increasing the amount of uh, scientific literature that we have and how we take care of our patients. Thank you, Dr. Nazarali. That's great advice. And I think especially in this era of COVID with remote working, thinking outside the box, like you say, I think those are such important principles for us to take forward. Thank you very much for that. And just lastly, I wanted to ask Professor Rodriguez Lorenzo, um, you've um, been involved in a lot of research over the years. Would you have for trainees and residents um, who want to specialize in microsurgery? How do they go about developing the, te the techniques during their career? Um, and again, combining this with a research perspective as well. Thank you. Uh, well, I think uh, I see microsurgery like a never ending specialty in a way. It's always developing, you have new things and you need to have a keep open minded 
all the time, right? I think in terms of uh, trainees, medical students, and so on, my recommendation will be to uh, choose microsurgery as a long life investment in a way. There's a lot of education you need to put in and mentorship that was mentioned before is critical. Uh, what's called uh, post-training uh, 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 fellowships and, and things like that is critical. And then it's important always to find a way to evaluate your outcomes. We just saw a fantastic paper that actually is a monitor of uh, your work. So I think doing research uh, make is a way of monitor your outcomes and try to be better. So monitor your uh, complications, your work, and have feedback from mentors and colleagues. It's very important to actually have a successful academic career. That's what I think. And then microsurgery is, is really fascinating. So I will encourage all the medical students to go to plastic surgery and within plastic surgery, go to microsurgery. I couldn't agree more. I think it's a, an amazing specialty. And as you say, it covers so many um, different areas and different techniques in itself as well. So um, a lot of scope for almost every plastic surgeon to become involved. Um, so thank you so much for that. Um, I'd just like to open the floor to the rest of the panel, either Hine, Oscar, Horatio, if you have any further questions or comments with regards to the paper or those points we've just discussed at all. I only would like to uh, echo Andres's comment that uh, if you think about doing good stuff, get in touch with the microsurgeons. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's really, uh, uh, but it's because we share uh, hobbies uh, all, all amongst the panel, I'm sure. And, and thanks for the great meeting and thanks for the inspiring advice of all the senior people and junior as well. Ashraf, really good to take home messages, do the cold phone call and take uh, control of your own career. I think a lot of us, and especially Oscar mm. uh, from Mexico and in the UK, you might have a comment on that as well. Yeah, I think... Um it's important to reach out to uh, mentors, to uh, other professors all over the world. And it's good to think outside the box. And um, Icoplast and uh, Plasta UK, as well as the European uh, Plastic uh, Surgery Journal, they're encouraging um, this sort of uh, outreach to uh, international trainees and it's good to have it in, in mind. Thank you very much, Oscar. Um, and I think with that, I'll just give the last word to Horatio um, as editor-in-chief of VJPS, um, just to uh, encourage as well our trainees and residents listening and even um, the consultants and attendings listening to um, continue to carry out your research throughout your career and to submit this to EJPS as well for um, peer review and publication as well. Absolutely, Dimi. Uh, it, it is wonderful how uh, to take advantage of this journal club to uh, where most of our audience as are actually trainees from all around the world. Uh, today with us are all our, all my residents are here. So it's wonderful to have the opportunity to learn from other ex life experience, how other people do it how are people are doing it and how they are achieving uh, their life dream, uh, I mean, the, the, the dream of their career, you know? And uh, is, are, are actually these are uh, inspiring stories. Uh, how Ashraf from just in already in just, he hasn't finished yet his medical career 
and he's already involved in research in a in top medical center in the U.S. So many times uh, the take home, take home message is that you don't need to finish your general surgery trainee training to start doing research in plastic surgery. You can already start your research while you are in medical school. So this is a very important message. Unfortunately, in Latin America country, or at least in my country, Argentina, um, clinical research is not encouraged at the medical school. And, um, and also uh, many times is neither encouraged during residency. <laughs> so uh, we are doing a hard work here, trying to encourage my residents to, to write papers, to do research and all of this kind of life experience the way we heard here today for sure is even more valuable than just listening about the critical appraisal of an article, you know? So that is that wonderful. So again, I would like to thank you, Dimi, the, for organizing this wonderful journal club. Again, all the trainees around the world that want to share their work at the journal are invited to submit their work. Uh, all papers submitted to the European Journal are judged on basis of the scientific merit. Uh, I mean, there is nothing, doesn't, I mean, doesn't matter where the paper comes from. The important is the paper is good. If the, the paper has good substance, I mean, it's a good paper, uh, for sure it's going to have uh, a space to be published in our journal. So looking forward to receive uh, your contributions. Thank you very much, Roger. Yeah, we've had some inspiring advice from our panelists and authors and experts today. So I'm sure you'll be receiving a couple more um, submissions in due course. So thank you so much for that. Um, with that, I think we'll end today's journal club. Thank you so much to all our panelists, um, starting with uh, Mr. Oscar Fernandez. Thank you very much for your appraisal of the article. Thank you very much for your kind invitation. And as always, thank you to Hine Rackles for your great questions and input as well. Again, a great, great session. Thanks, everybody. And thank you, especially to Dr. Horatio Mayer. Thank you, Dimi, once again. And thank you as well to Professor Andres Rodriguez Lorenzo for your great comments and inspiring advice as well. Thank you so much. Take care. And thank you as well to Ashraf Patel um, for putting the paper together and for your great comments and um, contribution as well. Thank you so much for having me and for having such a great discussion. And thank you, especially to Dr. Rahim Nazarali. Um, this paper wouldn't have been possible without you and your clinical expertise. And as um, Professor Rodriguez Lorenzo said as well, following your um, clinical outcomes over a prolonged period of time and putting these together. So we thank you for that. And again, for inspiring our listeners um, to take that forward. So thank you very much for your time today. Yeah, I really appreciate being here. Thank you again, everyone. It's been a great journal club and we look forward to seeing you next month. Thank you for listening to this month's European Journal of Plastic Surgery Journal Club. Please send us your thoughts about the article on social media using the hashtag EJPSJournalClub. Thank you again and see you in two months for our next episode.